0: how are we going to know when everything is finished? How will we know when everything in the new creation is finally, after all this time, complete? The book of Revelation at the end of the Bible tells us. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. So I've competed in a number of athletic contests in my life. But three of those, as an adult, pushed me to my very limits: a marathon and two half Ironman triathlons. Now do the math on that. I tell people that I've competed, I've, I've completed the Ironman distance, but it took me ten months. But I have completed the Ironman took longer than most people. The marathon almost took that long. It felt that way. It took five hours. And, you know, everything in me, all the training, everything was ready to go. That morning, woke up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, run this marathon by the Arkansas River. It was a double out and back, 13 miles. Ran the first 13 miles out and back. Everything was great. Just, Just fine. Went back out. At about mile 17 or 18, now this didn't really happen, but I'm going to, this is a metaphor, I'm going to describe it like it really happened. At mile 18, a bear jumped out in front of me and he was carrying a refrigerator and he put it on my back and that's what it felt like finishing the race and did, got all the way through the 26 and you can't imagine what point two. Miles feels like. But anyway, finish that one. The two half Ironmans, first one in 12 hours, second in 13 hours. The second one in 13 happened because on the 56-mile bike ride, I get about halfway through that ride and have a flat tire. You know, and you carry stuff with you because in those races, you can't get help. So you have to, you know, get on the side of the road, fix your own flat, and have at it. But the finish line, the finish line is such a beautiful sight. After hours and hours and hours of putting yourself through something that basically comes down to somewhere along the way, you think, why in the world did I sign up for this? And sometimes life feels that way. What did I get myself into? But the finish line, there in all of its glory, lit by strong lights, the banner going back and forth in the wind, there's just not a more beautiful sight. We know from Scripture what the finish line is going to look like. Or at least we have an idea. My hunch is that it's not going to look anything like what we imagine it's going to look like. But to kind of help us get there and help us know what to look for, we have some signs. But I don't think it's going to look like what we expect. It's kind of like earlier in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 when Jesus is talking to the seven churches. You remember this image? That Jesus says that when everything is said and done, I'm going to give you a white stone. You remember this one? It's just this really odd image. But anyway, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a white stone, and on that white stone is going to be your new name. Yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't know what that is going. I mean, is it going to be, okay, I've spent all my life as Jeff, and now in heaven I'm going to be Steve? You know, I don't, is that the way it's going to work? Because the New Testament has moments like that, right? First you have Cephas, then you have Peter. Saul, Paul. Maybe that's the way it's going to work. But maybe because of all this stuff about new creation, you know, what if, and I'm just, again, this total speculation on my part, but what if the new name that Jesus hands us is just that? New. Guess what? You now are brand new. If you've been at this a while, talking about just everyday life, I think as we get older, that sounds better and better. You know, Revelation paints this just beautiful image of our new name. Paul is not so subtle. He says, Outwardly, we're wasting away. Thanks, Paul. I know. But you know what the follow up to that is, right? Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Oh, that's a prettier image. So, what's your new name? My name is New. In Christ Jesus, finally, after all this time, I'm made perfect, whole, brand new, back to the garden, just like new, good as new. Did you know that if the Bible is read as one gigantic story, you know, I I know it's kind of a library of books that spans a lot of space and time. But if you just read it as one big story, it begins and ends with the same image. Did you know that? A starting line will also be the finish line. And you'll recognize it. You're not going to mistake it. We will know when we get there in the garden where it all began, exactly what the finish line is going to look like. You know, it's this lifelong process that we go through of, you know, we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. That's the story of the book of Revelation, is that it's this long, slow process, but in God's time, when we get there, we'll know exactly what it's going to look like. After Genesis 2 and 3, all the stuff about the tree of life at the beginning of creation, it's a little unsettling that the tree of life is not mentioned again in the rest of the law. You know that? It's this major image in Genesis 2 and 3, and then for the rest of the law, it's not mentioned. And except for two beautiful proverbs in the wisdom literature that, by the way, are worth their weight in gold, the tree of life is really not mentioned again Until the very end, and not just in Revelation, but in the last chapter, at the very end, these proverbs, though, I mean, I really do think they do a lot with creation theology. Get this, Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. Isn't that beautiful? In the end, Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. My, oh my, isn't that the truth? But those are comparisons, really. They're metaphors. The actual tree is only at the very beginning and the very end. We see the tree at the beginning of God's creation, but then we don't see it again until the finish line, when finally, after all this time, we are made new. The last long word from Jesus in Revelation 22. This is Jesus speaking once again. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what you have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city." Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Ever since I began ministry years ago, I have church dreams. Like at night while I'm sleeping, preachy dreams some that turn into nightmares. And not monsters, but sometimes real life just yucky feelings. I had a dream a few weeks ago and it was actually kind of while I was thinking of this sermon in next week, which is kind of two finish lines, For all this time that we've spent in the writings of John. I have this dream, and somehow, some way, I wind up as the new preacher at this Baptist church in East Texas. And I don't know how I got there. There was no interview process during the dream. It was just like, boop, one day I'm the preacher at this Baptist church in East Texas, and i get there and you know we're eating in this you know room that looks like a room that you would eat in in a church so we're eating and everything's great and everybody's shaking hands everybody's excited and all this stuff and i go outside where there's a bunch of guys smoking cigarettes and i think that that was in the dream because whenever i was in monday people used to still go outside after church and smoke cigarettes anyway outside smoking cigarettes and I start overhearing all this, um, what do you call it in church, grumbling? It's All this just grumbling? And I'm like, oh, man. And then suddenly it goes from everybody eating in this church room to just this feeling of, oh, man, what did I get myself into? It's too late now. I mean, we've already unloaded the U-Haul and closed on the house. You know, what what are we going to do? And I think most of those kinds of bad dreams go back to my early years as a Christian, as a teenager, when I idealized all Christians. You know, I'm being totally serious in this. When I was around 15, 16, 17, I really started going to church on my own, longing for Jesus, looking into all of this stuff. I thought that when you became a Christian, when you confessed Jesus as Lord, then that just automatically meant that everybody who confessed Jesus as Lord was just this really like loving, kind gentle, peaceful person. You go up to anybody, anybody at church, and they were all going to be like grass and harlow, which probably none of you know, but he was this guy at my church when I was a teenager who happened to be one of the elders. He had these real thick black glasses, and he walked real slow, just very slowly. But it was just this you know, again, 15, 16, 17-year-old, I looked at him and I thought, there's a sweet old man. Because that's what he was. And I thought everybody who was a Christian was like him. And so I go to college. And, you know, I have all these Bible professors and all these people who are Christians. And I, you know, wow, this is great. And I kind of lived in that world for quite a while. Then moved to Monday. And it's just a small cotton farming church and everybody's kind of happy to see each other Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday at the post office, Wednesday at the grocery store, Friday night at the football games. And it was this kind of ideal world. And then we moved. And I just remember, okay, it's going to be This bigger and better church, because that's what I was groomed to do, right? If you're in ministry, what you're supposed to do is go from this church, and then you're supposed to say goodbye and hug everybody and go to a bigger church where you make more money. You know, now, you may have never heard it that crassly, but look, that's the way it was. You go to a bigger church, bigger salary, bigger house, and then you go to the next one, and it's even a bigger church, and that was logical progression of things. When I got there, there was one Sunday where we baptized uh, a woman, an older lady who had never really confessed Jesus as Lord, and I was really excited. And the end of that service, it was just palpable. There's just this energy in the room. It was so fantastic. Older lady has just put on Jesus as Lord. I thought, man, it does not get any better than this moment. And I was right, because it got real bad after that moment. I didn't know that that church people could be this mean. Oh, man, it was just unsettling. I go out into the foyer, and I'm shaking people out of the auditorium. That's what preachers do after church, shaking everybody's hand, shaking them out. And this guy just starts chewing me out, hollering at me right there in the foyer of the Church of Christ, hollering at me. I'm like, what is this guy's deal? And he started hollering at me because whenever I baptized this woman, I didn't say for the remission of sins. And I was like, well, I'll try to do better next time. But I went home that night, and I was like, oh, man. Uh, isn't it in the rule book that once you confess Jesus as Lord, you're not supposed to act like that anymore? I, I really thought that. I thought, man. And it was hard. Uh, it wasn't that many years before that that Don Henley came out with the song, The End of the Innocents. That's what that moment was you know you offer up your best defense but that was it that was the end and it was heartbreaking but you know what happened is that I kept preaching kept going to see people in the hospital kept doing you know counseling in my office and going to visit people and Kept on doing ministry, and there were still a lot of people who were just people of love, joy, and peace who took Jesus seriously. Whenever he said, First, go and learn what this means I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and just Kept going. And I ran into more people along the way who were just mean as all get out. Sorry, it's you probably have too if you've been at this for a while. Um, and then Sharon called and said, Hey, you want to come to Bering? I'm like, Yep. <laughs> I do. It took a little longer than that. That's pretty much what it came down to. And I find in in us a lot like that group of cotton farmers out in West Texas. I don't run into a whole lot of, you know, mean as all get out here. Just don't deal with it that much around here. It's good. Because you ever heard Paul Ricoeur, the philosopher? You'd love him. He talks about the second naivete that... You know, we're naive, we're innocent, idealistic, call it whatever you want to, and then life gets to you, and it takes that naivete away. And so Rekur talks about the second naivete. We probably would translate it hope. You know, maybe it's ideal, but whatever you want to call it. And I realized somewhere along the way that my 15, 16, 17-year-old Hope and idealizing that everybody who confesses Jesus is Lord, love, joy, peace, all that stuff, I'm not willing to give up on that. Regardless of everything that sometimes we've run into along the way, I'm not willing to give that up. I still want to go back and believe that when you confess Jesus is Lord, you're still a person of love and joy and peace. That's it. And we just assume that. And when those assumptions get crushed, we go, "Hmm, okay, I'm going back to love, joy, and peace. Because that's what God is up to. I think that's what all this new creation stuff is about. That God is shaping us in ways that we could not be on our own. If all we do in church is just kind of play by the rule book, yeah, we're going to mess some things up, but what is God up to? I think I know what God is up to. And I think that's what Jesus meant by, I have overcome the world. You know, the last public thing Jesus said in John 16, right before he starts moving toward the cross, I have overcome the world. I believe that God has these kinds of hopes for all the people of Jesus, that every single person on the planet who confesses Jesus as Lord is a person of love joy and peace. Sometimes we get disconnected, and I think we do that ourselves. I think sometimes we kind of unplug from God and we kind of figure things out and we realize, well, I'm not a person of love and joy and peace like I need to be. God is able to bring it right back. world's trying to get you to pursue all kinds of things. You know that, right? Money, fashion, security, success, attractiveness, youth, status. All of which are vanity. You know, that's what the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes just call, outright calls it, Right? vanity. And he goes so far as to say it's a chasing after the wind. When all the while God wants us to look for one thing, the finish line. And to go back to this wild imagery in the book of Revelation, we are going to know when we hit the finish line. We'll know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because you know what it is? It's a tree. It's actually a tree. A tree of life. The hope of getting to it sustains us in this world once the new creation is completed. It will sustain us for the rest of time and into eternity. For we are the people of God's creation from the beginning in God's new creation from this point forward, now and forever forever and ever. Amen. At the very end of Revelation, which just so happens to also be the very end of Scripture, Jesus speaks and we respond. The very last lines of Revelation 22 go like this. Jesus says, Yes, I am coming soon. And then we get to respond as we wait, as we endure, and we can almost see the finish line in the distance. We say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Jesus speaks His final word, at least for now, and then we speak our final word, at least for now, here in the in-between, between Jesus saying, it is finished from the cross, the end of John, And then the last thing the good Lord told John. You know, the last thing is that the good Lord told John, Yes, I'm coming soon. Living in the middle of those times, we have our final word as well. We speak it. And then we do something that um, a lot of us have probably gotten kind of used to. You know what we do after we speak our final word? We wait. And then, the book closes the worship service for the day. Very end of Revelation. Very end of John's writings. Even though we'll need to lean on those words again someday. But for today, these will be good enough to sustain us. To help us. To help us patiently endure, we stand at the finish line and we wait for our ride home. Apparently, back to the Tree of Life. You know that, by the way. That the Tree of Life is only mentioned at the very beginning and very end of Scripture. I don't know. As I was getting all this ready, I just found that fascinating. It's such a big image. In Scripture, but it also builds anticipation, which seems to be something that God is pretty well practiced at doing. So we wait, and as we wait, we speak, we pray, we lean on God, and we say our line. We proclaim together with one voice Amen. Lord Jesus. And then the word of the Lord gives us one final gift. And it's this gift that concludes our worship service this morning. And it's the gift that concludes the Bible. It's one final line. It's just one one final gift grace of the lord jesus be with god's people the grace of the lord jesus be with god's people the grace of the lord jesus be with god's Amen. So now we're going to take a picture together. Everybody come up to the front. Between this wall and that wall, try to get in between. If you... Uh. Need to sit in the front for a little while while we're all getting set up, do so. We haven't taken a church picture in a while, so that's why I thought. Let's take a church picture. Um, Tall people in the back. If you're steady afoot, stand on the stairs. If you're not, but just try to get between the two walls. And so everybody come on up and we're going to take a church picture.